This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Well, I'm glad that you survived the snowstorm of 2024. <laughs> that you're here, and uh, I'm excited that you're here. I'm more excited that Jesus is here. And I believe he wants to do some stuff tonight. I believe that um, as I've been worshiping tonight, I just, I just get a sense that we have ministered well unto the Lord over the past few days. We have loved him well. And I know the nature of God. I've seen it throughout my life. He is a good giver. And he has a hard time receiving gifts without giving them back. And I believe that he wants to give some gifts tonight. I believe he wants to do some work tonight. So we're going to make some space here in a little bit to, uh, to open up the altars and, and pray and pray for each other and just let God do some stuff tonight. Are you down for that? Yes. I believe God wants to heal some people. Uh, I believe he wants to give some words tonight. So intercessors, be interceding. Be ready. <laughs> I don't know what was funny about that, but. <laughs> but be ready to receive, because uh, I believe God wants to love on, on you tonight. Let's just pray. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful for what you've done over the past few days. Grateful for the impartation that's taken place. And we do. We just, center our, we just center our attention on you once again. We say that we we do all of this for you because you are worthy of praise and worthy of glory and worthy of honor. You're so worthy. You've been so good. So good. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for how faithful you have been to me throughout my entire life. Lord, you've been so good to every one of us. Thank you for the cross. Jesus, thank you for the cross. We remember it right now. We remember the work that you did to bring about our salvation, to free us from our sins, to bring us into covenant, to make us sons and daughters, to make a new covenant possible. Oh, we're so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, you're so sweet. Such a sweet Lord. So sweet. You're precious to us. You're, more, you're worth more than anything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's been such a great time, hasn't it? Yeah. Good night. Sarah, that word, Sunday night? Yeah. Just a master class of communication and being in the presence of God. And your overflow is so wonderful. I am proud of you. Glad to be your husband. Glad that we both agreed on me. <laughs> we both fell in love with me and it worked out okay. That was a problem for a while, guys. I, I, I liked Jesus and I loved me. And uh, luckily that has turned around and, and for the better. And for all of you who may be that way, like, get that figured out. That's not a good place to be. And then, Pastor, it wasn't, wasn't uh, Corey Russell so awesome last night? Good night. <laughs> These guys are tough acts to follow. But I'm not, I'm not trying to outdo them. I'm just letting Jesus work tonight, right? 
because he, he can do great and mighty things. I want to thank our, our band, our worship team, David. So proud of you. So grateful for what God has given us. And I hope you recognize New Song Church. What a gift we have in our, in our worship team. Um, I really do believe there's so much more in store to come out of this house related to the kingdom and worship. I know there's still a lot to do there. And I know there's been a lot of ground work that we've been doing, a lot of foundation that's been built over the past uh, eight years now. But I believe that there's also a ground swell coming. And um, all the pieces are in place. It's, uh, man, you guys, it just sounds so good. And it's not just the sound of excellence. It's the sound of heaven. Yes. It really is. Is Thomas in here? Thomas? Thomas, I don't know where you are. Where are you? I don't... What? <laughs> oh, he's in the green room. Okay, well, Thomas is great. <laughs> it's going to give him a word, but you got to be in here to get a word. So I'll give it to him later. <laughs> All right, if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 19. Y'all ready to open up the Word? Yes. Over Christmas, I was, uh, I was praying and uh, just kind of beginning to think about the new year and specifically this night and what God would have me say and asking the Lord to speak to me. And He dropped a phrase uh, from Luke 19 into my, into my heart. And so I went and found it. I didn't know it was in Luke 19. I just knew the phrase found it in scripture, began to study it, and then God began to unpack it for me. And I, I really believe that this is kind of a mandate for our church. I believe that some of what God wants to do in the days ahead is going to come out of some of what he's going to do tonight and what he's going to kind of uh, plant in our hearts based on this. I think there's a little work to be done, a little revision maybe to, to take place in some of our lives. But out of this, I believe there's going to be the new fresh flow of the Holy Spirit in our church and an outflow into our city and our community and our schools. I believe that there is a new outpouring that's going to take place in our schools. I believe that, that I feel like God is saying that, that he's giving us a generation, but young people, he'll give us that generation, but we got to go chase after him. We got to go chase after him. And I, I think God's going to show you somehow we're going to do that in the days ahead. Um, let me set this up for you. Jesus is in Jericho at the time of this text, Luke 17. This is the, he's about to do the, the parable of the minus here. He's in Jericho and he is, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And things are really starting to ramp up at this point in Scripture, in this point of the ministry of Jesus. He's got a lot of people following him. And they're following him with a certain expectation. And so he's heading towards Jerusalem. If you know the story, he's going to get to Jerusalem. And this is where he's going to have this, this grand entry where he comes in and, he's, and people are, are singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then six days later, they're shouting, crucify him. Yeah. So a lot is about to change and a lot is really ramping up. And that change takes place because... There's a certain expectation that the people have for what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. And he doesn't meet them in their expectation. And actually in this text, he's giving instruction and speaking into that to let them know, hey, this is not going to go the way you think it's going to go right now. What you're wanting is going to come, but it's not going to come right now. And so uh, Luke 19, starting in verse 11, he has uh, just had the whole Zacchaeus encounter, you know, the wee little man. You guys remember him? 
And then out of that, he says, he, he makes this statement. He says, I have come to seek and save the lost. And then he says this on the tail end of that. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. And then it tells us why right here. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought. Somebody say they thought. They thought. They thought so they had an expectation that the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, if you've been paying attention to the ministry of Jesus, he's been talking about the kingdom and he's been talking about how it is a kingdom now. Like it is, it is here. It is on the scene. Um, and it is, and it still is to this day. But what they are wanting is the, is the fullness of, of the kingdom of God. And what he is speaking to is the kingdom that he is planting within his people. That's going to take place through the cross of Jesus Christ. The kingdom is now. It is upon us. It is within us. If you were here on Sunday, I talked about uh, the, the two Edens. And that there's an Eden in the beginning. And there's an Eden in the middle. And then there's, or there's an Eden at the end. And there's an Eden in the middle. And the Eden in the middle is me and you. And, and, and so this is kind of, it's a, it's a bit more about this. He's talking about this, this, this middle section of what's getting ready, to get, re, getting ready to happen. The people are expecting something. They have a certain expectation of the fullness of the kingdom. In, in other words, the new heaven, new earth kind of stuff. The Jesus on the throne taking over. over really, like, understand these people are under Roman occupation. And, and they are miserable under Roman occupation. They want the Messiah to show up. They want freedom. They want to see this take place. And so they're hungry for that. And so he's telling them that it's not going to go this way. Actually, I'm going to have to go. But you're going to have the kingdom. I'm going to go. There's going to be an absence. But, but this is what you're going to do during the absence is what he's telling them. It's just so you know, we're living in that absence right now. Okay. So he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. Somebody say, do business. Do business. I'm going to read it from the, the New King James, that last part, because this is the actual phrasing that God dropped in my heart. Occupy till I come. Yes. Somebody say, occupy. occupy. So we find ourselves today living in the space between this, this kingdom the kingdom is now. It is on the scene. It's not the fullness of the kingdom, but the kingdom is here. And we find ourselves in this place waiting for the return of our Savior. And Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back soon. Uh, but until then, we are called to occupy. To occupy until he comes. And so that's what I want to talk to you tonight about is what it means to occupy. Say it again like you mean it. Occupy. Occupy. So this is how God kind of put it to me. We exist to be the occupying army of, of, of Jesus Christ until uh, Jesus' return. We are an occupying army. So um, something you need to understand as I, as I talk, lean into this idea of what it means to be the occupying army is you have to first of all understand that we're not here as the occupying army. The goal is not that we win the victory. The goal is that we enforce the victory that's already been won. We're not here to win a victory. The victory has been won. Jesus has already defeated everything that needed to be defeated. The victory has been won. It's already finished. That's why when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he doesn't say, guys, it's almost done. Guys, I'm just getting started here. Just, just hang on with me. He doesn't say that. He says it is finished, right? The work, the victory has already been accomplished. Jesus won the victory. So, so as the saying goes, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory, right? 
But, but understand this, there's still a fight to be fought. And, and we, as we are called to be this occupying army in this absence period between Jesus when he was here and when he will return to occupy until he comes, to do business till he comes. And, and this is important because where we don't do business, where we don't occupy, that's where the enemy will take up refuge. If you guys remember in uh, 2001, um, we went to war with Afghanistan to, to go against, fight against and war against the Taliban. And uh, it didn't take long for us to win the victory. When we invaded in 2001, it took two months, one week, and three days, and we actually had captured Afghanistan. And from that point on, for 20 years, we had an army in Afghanistan as an occupying army. That army from that day forward was not there to win the victory. The victory had already been won. They were there to occupy because there was an understanding that there is an enemy army that sits outside the gates waiting for the opportunity to come back in and invade, looking for an opportunity to come in and, and destroy and bring about a different regime. And what, so what happens in 2021, we, we take our, our soldiers out of Afghanistan and immediately what happens is the Taliban comes back in and takes over and is in control of this to this day. And, and, and so the idea is this, understand this church, that we are called to be people who stand in place as the occupying army of God, who claim certain places in this world and who stay in place to make sure that the enemy who is seeking who he may devour does not have the ability to come in and invade these spaces and take them over. We, we are the occupying army. We're here to be an occupying army, enforcing the victory that Jesus has already won. And in the space, and any space that we don't occupy for this cause, any space that we don't stand in guard of, listen, the enemy will rush in and take over. We are an occupying army and we need to take ground for the kingdom. We need to keep pursuing what God has to do. We have, a, we have to occupy and, and understand this. Satan loves unoccupied lives. He loves unoccupied spaces. Look at this verse with me. This is Matthew chapter 12. If you leave a space unoccupied, the enemy's going to fill it. Look at this. Jesus talking. He says, now when an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, it roams through waterless, dry arid places in search of rest. So this is talking about demonic influence, but it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it arrives, if it finds the place unoccupied, swept, notice this phrasing, swept and put in order. It's cleaned up. It's just not occupied. Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and make their homes there. And the last condition of that man becomes worse than the first. So here's how God put it to me. Satan is a squatter. Yes, yes. Satan is a squatter. A squatter is by definition a person who unlawfully occupies an uninhabited space. A squatter is someone who finds an empty space and they take up residence in it and they, they have no legal claim to that property. But here's what's interesting is if a squatter finds an uninhabited space and they begin to occupy it and they begin to live there and they live there long enough and they begin to start conducting business there. They start getting bills sent in their name to that place. They get an electric bill. They get a water bill sent to them to, in their name. They can, they can gain legal access to stay in that place place, even when the owner comes back and says, you need to get out, they can't kick them out. Yeah. 
because they've so allowed, because they've uninhabited that space for so long, they've allowed it to become inhabited and entrenched with an enemy, someone who doesn't belong there, and now they have complete control. Now, listen, here's what, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying if, as a Christian, you know, that, that Satan is going to come possess you, okay? Because that, that's not possible. Just so you know, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you belong to God. You're a possession of God. And, the, and Satan cannot possess you. He can, he can come against you. He can, uh, he can influence, try to influence you. But he can't take up residency in your heart. But what he can do is he can take up residency in spaces that you leave vacant. Spaces that you leave vacant, like your thoughts. Spaces that you leave vacant like your feelings. That you don't submit to the Word of God. Spaces that you leave vacant like your emotions, your parenting. If you leave that just up to the way of the world, just up to whatever it may be, whatever will be, will be. I promise you, if you leave it unoccupied, the enemy is going to find a way to get into that space and begin to take up residency and own that area. He'll try to own it. And, and beyond that, as the people of God, we're called to reach into our community. We're called to storm the gates of hell. We're called to go into the world and preach the gospel and make room. But when we don't do it, when we choose to sit back and say, ah, you know, someone else will get to that. We leave those spaces unoccupied. Yeah. Is it any wonder that we see some of what we're seeing in the world? Yeah. Because Christians, as the occupying army, have to, haven't taken the ground that we're called yeah. to take and haven't gone to those spaces and those places and claimed them for Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every spit, split second is claimed by God and is counterclaimed by Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says the, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan seeks. He's seeking. He's looking for an opening. He's looking for a vacancy. He's looking for an opportunity. He's looking for a way to get in so he can squat and take up residency. And then eventually over time, we lose areas of our life over to the enemy. They can be brought back, but the longer you leave him in these places, the stronger his, his claim can be on them. Somebody say occupy. occupy. Now, again, I, I'm not trying to just throw bad news at you because there really is good news, okay? The good news is we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory, right? The good news is we're not trying to win the victory. We're trying to enforce, we're, or we're not trying to enforce. We are enforce, enforce, enforcing, enforcing the victory that Jesus has already won. Yeah. Romans 8, if you need to get charged up, read Romans 8 sometimes. Yeah. Romans 8, 37, uh, it says, In these things we know that we are more than conquerors through yes. Him. More than conquerors. Not just conquerors, more than conquerors. Let me, let me help you understand this, all right? In case you don't know what that means. Uh, let me explain it like this. Back in, in 2022, um, Tyson Fury, you guys ever heard of him before? He's the heavyweight champion of the world. Tyson Fury defeated Derek Chisora in, the, in a heavyweight battle, defending his title. And in doing so, he brought home $25 million, a $25 million purse. Not a bad day's wage there, right? And so he, he wins the fight, right? He's the heavyweight champion. We would say that Tyson Fury is a conqueror. Would you agree with that? He's a conqueror. So he, gets, he wins this battle. He goes through the fight. He goes through all the training. He does the hard stuff. Then he gets $25 million, and you know what he does? He goes home, and he takes this money, and he puts it into his bank account, 
$25 million, U.S. dollars, puts it into his bank account. And then he goes home to his wife, his wife, Paris, and his seven children. And you know what they do? They begin to start spending the money. You know why? Because that account is a joint account. And because he is their father and they are and she is his bride, she has access to this account. They have access to what he has, what he has, what he has won becomes uh, accessible to them. Listen, 2000 years ago, Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. 2000 years ago, he became the ultimate champion. He won the victory. He is the heavyweight champion of the world for all time. Amen. And 2,000 years later, his bride, his kids, we get to make purchases out of his account. Because this title holder, the champion, has given us joint access to his account. Charles Spurgeon says, as joint heirs with Christ, we not only share in his triumph, but we also draw from his infinite resources to live victorious lives. Look at your, your neighbor and say, hey, I'm more than a conqueror. Now look at the other person and act like you actually mean it this time and say, I am more than a conqueror. That was the most pathetic, I'm more than a conqueror. It's night three of blocks, I'm tired, but I'm still a conqueror. <laughs> I'm not here to win the victory. I'm here to enforce the victory Jesus already won. But unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't do it. We don't, we don't live as the occupying army. I think that the church as a whole is doing a bad job of this, to be honest with you. We're, we're content with going to church. We're content with having our thing. We're content with, with our home being somewhat covered, but we're not content with the world going to hell. Yeah. We're not content with the fact that the enemy has taken up residence in all these places that God has said, hey, I've given you victory here, and yet we just won't go fight. We're content. And, and there's three main things I think that we do is, is we become, we're unoccupied, because one of the things we do is we're vacant. So let me explain what that means. Um, we're not about Jesus' business. He says, be about my business. And let me, just, let me just throw this out there. If you're not about, if it's not kingdom business, what business is it? You thought about that? If you look at your life and you're going, I am not applying kingdom principles to this area of my life, then what are you doing? So look back at Matthew 12, what it says in verse 44. It says, then it, the unclean spirit says, I will return to my house. Notice the, the nature of the squatter. I'll return from which I came. And when it arrives, if it finds the place unoccupied, swept and put in order. Think about that. Unoccupied. So it's, it's empty, but it is swept and put in order. So it's swept. It's been cleaned up. You know, kind of reminds me of the blood of Jesus, what that did for us. Cleaned us from our sin. Washed away our mistakes washed away our past, cleaned us up. It's put in order. Like now we're, we're in a better order than we were before. We're part of the family of God. We're in a better order. We've got, you know, claims to the inheritance of Jesus Christ. We've been brought out of de death to life. Like that's a better order. <laughs> but, but unoccupied. And so what does it say? Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and they go in and they make their home there and the last condition of the man becomes worse than the first. I think we're, we're living in a world where believers and the church, the body of Christ, we're being besieged and bombarded 
in areas because we're just simply unoccupied in these areas. We've left things vacant. Yeah. And we're, we, we've taken an approach to our walk with God that is a vacant approach of just like, you know, there's certain things I'm going to do and there's just certain things I'm not going to do. I'm not Pastor Sarah. I'm not going to pursue Jesus like her. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working in the world and I, it's, it's different than... Not everybody's called to the same thing. Who said? Like, where did you get that? We're all called to the Great Commission. None of us are exempt from this. We're called to this. So we, we've got to live as occupied, as, as soldiers who are ready to, to occupy space. We're, 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 but we, we don't. We're not occupied with the Word like we should be. We don't get into the Word. We don't fill our mind with the Word. So what does the enemy do? He, he fills our, our thoughts with lies and with fear. It causes us to withdraw. And he takes territory. He takes territory in our mind. We're not occupied in the prayer closet. Can I talk to you about prayer a little bit, church? You know, we're doing good, but we, we can do better. We need to be, we, God has called us to be a house of prayer. We believe that about this church. And that's not the building. And that's not the leaders. That's a house. That's us. We're the body. Amen. We're called to be a people of prayer. We've yeah. got to take up that mantle. We've got to pray in our homes. Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for your spouse? I know you gripe about them. Do you pray for them? Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for your teenager? Are you just saying, ah, they're... You know, teenage years. I get it. That's why they need prayer. You know, a teenager, sorry guys, your brain hasn't developed yet completely. It's true. Still going. So they need prayer. They need prayer. But so often we, we don't pray. You know, your kids need you to pray for protection over them. They need to pray that you, you have authority in this area, parents. You need to take up this mantle. Are you praying for your kids? Are you praying for your spouse? For real? Are you praying for people in your family that are lost? Are you praying for people in your work environment that's lost? We're called to pray, church. But we're, we're, we're not occupied with this. We're not occupied with being in the prayer closet. And so what does the enemy do? These spaces that we don't occupy, he comes in and he squats. And he begins to fill them. You won't you want pray over your, your teenagers? Okay, cool. Thank you. Wow. Empty space. I'll come fill that. Wow. You know, you're not going to pray over your spouse? You're just going to gripe about them? Awesome. I'll use those words. Because your words have power. I can occupy. I, cool, you're letting me occupy your mouth. Thank you. Wow. you are you with me tonight? Yeah. We're not occupied in intercession. Coming together. To pray together. To pray for more than just us and our family. Pray for our community. Divorce rates are high. And, and, and we, we, we got to pray into that, church. There's spirits that exist in our, in our city. There are spirits that exist in our community. This is real stuff. Like this is not pretend stuff. It's real. And so, and, and, and in the same way that that's real, so is the power of our prayer to intercede on behalf of this stuff, to bring about revival. God wants us to be people of prayer. We're not occupied with the Great Commission. That's somebody else's job. 
I'm, I'm, I've, I've got something else I got going on over here. I got to make this sale. <laughs> I got to get, you know, I got to make the team. I got to, and, and meanwhile, we leave this space unoccupied. And the enemy comes and he fills it. Yeah. Public school system's rough right now. Are we, are we praying for it? Politics is rough. Are we praying for it? So we're not, we're, we're leaving these spaces vacant. Are you with me, church? Yes. Second area is we're occupied with empty. We're occupied with empty. In other words, I, I think one of the major kind of plagues that is affecting um, the climate of the world we find ourselves living in today is we're so easily occupied by empty, worth, worthless stuff. We're not, we're not occupied. Like, okay, so we're filling up, like, we're filling up the room, but we're filling it up with empty stuff. We're filling it up with stuff that if it was brought before the Lord and he sets it on fire, it doesn't last. So we're occupied. We're so occupied with Netflix. We're so occupied with TikTok. We're so occupied with their opinion about me. We're so occupied with the American dream. We're so occupied with these things. We're so caught up in that, that, and it's, and it's so much of it is just worthless. And we're filling up on empty. We're, we're eating rice cakes and wanting to run a marathon. That's good. Yeah. Tessa, like that, that is not warrior food. All right, I got a, I got a big fight. Give me them rice cakes. <laughs> and what's wild is we know it's worthless. We know it. We know it. You know what happens? Because we know it's worthless and we do it anyways, it makes us feel worthless. We know what we're doing has no value, and yet we keep going to it. We keep turning to it, and we believe a lie that my life is worthless. We lean into that. Enemy grabs a hold of that because we're not living purposeful. We're living a worthless existence, pursuing these things. He goes, yeah, see, it doesn't matter. I was reading this week about this four-year project that was done by these neuroscientists. They took 400 people, and for four years they were looking at their life and kind of studying what made them feel like it was a value and what felt like it was pointless in their life. And they discovered that of these people, 79% of them felt like they were empty all the time. Let me read this, what, what they said. And I think some of you, as I read this, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I feel that way. They said, when you feel like everything you do is pointless and you're just going through the motions, just trying to fill in time until you die, sometimes you have fun or something good happens, which can distract you for a while. But ultimately, there's a hollowness inside, which never goes away. It's as if you're transparent and anything positive like love or joy just passes right through you without sticking and afterwards it feels like it was never there at all. You may relate to that? I'm sure you do. And this is the culture that so many people are, are, are buying into. And the enemy, what he's doing is he's grabbing, he's grabbing us in this area that's so valuable. You know, the, the number one commodity in the world right now, you know what it is? It's not gold, it's not silver, it's not Bitcoin or some other online currency. You know what it is? Attention. 
attention is the is what every any business that's trying to do like be wealthy and do well they they say they're in pursuit of money but what they're really in pursuit of is attention because they recognize if they can get your attention then they can get a hold of your wallet so they're seeking after your attention and and this is interesting According to attention economics, the surplus of information has turned user attention into an even more scarce and valuable commodity. So because we have such low attention spans, less than that of a goldfish now, it's caused our attention to be such a valuable commodity because it's so scarce, it's so hard to come by. But the idea is that Satan recognizes if I can get your attention, I can get you. And, then, and he's been running this place since the beginning. This is what he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, verse 6, the woman looked. He got her attention. Looked at the fruit on the tree. She saw. He got her attention. That it would be good to eat and it was beautiful to look at. He got her attention. So he captures Adam and Eve's attention. He gets a hold of their attention. And then he leads them into into captivity. Verse 7, then the eyes of the two of them were opened. Sadly, the eyes of so many people have been opened to things that we were never intended to see. We were never intended to have our eyes focused on. But our eyes have become desensitized through these things. We've seen things. We've looked at things. We've continued to look at things. And they've been opened to some wrong stuff. And we've been captured by our eyes. So it was so beautiful what, and I had some of this written, but what uh, Corey brought a, took us through last night, I hope that you received of that. Yeah. Surrendering your eyes over the Lord. Matthew 6, Jesus says that, verse 23, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Yeah. And so we, we, we get occupied with empty stuff, and the enemy just takes, he, he causes us to feel this empty existence, this unworthy life. And for some of you, I really believe that over the next 21 days, you're going to find some deliverance and some unsubscribe buttons and like some honest conversations with some people where you say, hey, this has got a hold of me more than I've been willing to admit it. There's some freedom in some of that. You guys with me? Yes. So we got to occupy. So we don't get occupied with the wrong stuff. Here's the third thing. We're occupied we're unoccupied because we're occupied with off. We're occupied with, with off, not the bug spray. <laughs> we're occupied with kind of like God stuff, but not quite a God way. Or in other words, we're occupied with forms of godliness. Second Timothy talking about the last days, it says there'll be perilous times. It says, begins to list all these issues. I want you to notice the first one, though. This, uh, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own self. Hold on to that. Highlight that. Circle that. Because a lot stems from that. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Doesn't this, I mean, are, are any of you going, man, that's not happening yet? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, check, 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 check. 
Number five, having a, or verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That last verse has always been growing up in, you know, charismatic churches. And that last verse was always kind of used as like these churches over here. They don't, they don't get it like we do. They don't, they don't worship and they don't, you know, lay hands and pray in tongues and they don't do these kind of things. But, but what if it's more than, than that? What if it's more than just they deny the power because they act like it doesn't exist or they act like it doesn't pertain to us anymore? What if it's that they deny the power because of what they're occupied doing? Because we're doing the wrong stuff. We're denying God to move in power like he wants to do it. Yes. Ephesians 6, 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against uh, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. I think one of the problems we have in the church today is a problem in wrestling. And it's not that we wrestle. That's not the problem. The problem is we're wrestling the wrong stuff. We're supposed to be wrestling an enemy. That's what all this stuff is. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of, of this world, spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. In other words, the devil and demons and demonic influence. That's what we're supposed to be warring against. But instead of warring against foreign enemies, we find ourselves as the body of Christ warring against domestic enemies. They're not even enemies, just in domestic warfare. So we have no fight for the foreign because we're, so, we're, we're all caught up in, in fighting each other. We're denying the power of God against the real enemy because we're made, we've made our spouse the enemy. We've made our boss the enemy. We've made that girl at students the enemy. We've made that boy on the team the enemy. We've made fill-in-the-blank person the enemy. And, and so often, like, we're warring against our own body. Like, the, we're the body of Christ, and we're just caught up in hitting ourselves. I don't like the way my shoulder's acting today. That's... <laughs> Taking me on this finger. What's the deal? Like we're, we're fighting our own body. And because of this, all of our energy is spent on the body. We're not, yeah. we're not even touching the outside world. Now people sometimes coming up and they're like, Hey man, the, the devil is just really getting after me. No, he's not. Your rebellion is getting after you. <laughs> devil didn't have to mess with you yet. You're, you're so caught up in you. He ain't, he's just like, yeah, you're doing a great job. Keep going. <laughs> We're supposed to be fighting powers, but we end up fighting partners. We're supposed to be fighting uh, an enemy outside, and we're just fighting, we're just infighting. We're so busy fighting against our, ourself, there's no energy to fight against the body. So we're wrestling, we're occupied with wrestling, but we're wrestling our brothers and sisters more than we're wrestling the enemy. And in the process of doing that, we're surrendering over all this territory to the enemy because we're fighting on the wrong battlefield. So I hope, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying because Satan loves unoccupied spaces. When troops are withdrawn, the enemy surges in. When saints are withdrawn, the enemy of the kingdom begins to surge in. And so the assignment of the season is to occupy. And it starts with you. It starts with you. Before we can move this occupying army into the rest of the world, are you fully submitted to being occupied by the Lord? Ephesians 4 says this, Jesus talking, he says, he who descended, came down from heaven, is the very one who ascended above all the heavens. Now look at this. In order to fill all things. This is the heart of God. Yeah. 
And, and it's not just, and notice it doesn't say in order to fill all people. It's all things. Like the goal of Jesus wasn't just to win the people back. It's to win the world back. Yeah. It's to win the territory back that was taken away. To fill all things. There should be no environments in our world that are not, are not like filled with salt and light. We we gotta we gotta we gotta take it to the enemy and and so we gotta fill we, if we're gonna do this though it starts with us it's, we have to start by by filling ourselves because the reality is empty vessels get shaken easily empty vessels get shaken yeah. easily yeah. Hebrews twelve says this verse twenty six once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens God talking. This phrase yet once, once more indicates the, the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order. Look at this. That things that cannot be shaken may remain. So listen, church. We're living in a day and age where the things that can be shaken will be shaken. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what all is to come in 2024, but I anticipate some shaking. You guys remember 2020? Anybody? We're just blocking that out. You know why? Because there was some shaking. There's some shaking that took place. You know, God blessed us in 2020. New Song Church grew, which was wild. But we lost a lot of people, too. There's a lot of people that disappeared. And I, I'm not saying that all of that was because they were easily shakable, but some of it was. Things that can be shaken will be shaken. Loyalty to God will be shaken. Like we're in election year, guys. Get ready. <laughs> and, and, and you know, part of what God does is, I'll, I'll say it this way, I think that one of God's favorite games to play is the trust game. You remember the trust game? Yeah. Trust fall game? You guys remember this? You get, someone gets behind you and they're like, okay, fall. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And they're like, yeah, do it. I'm going to catch you. And this is a really interesting moment because you're going, do I really trust them? <laughs> Are they, if they just let me fall, I'm going to, it's going to hurt. So I have to trust they're actually going to catch me. Trust fall. Jesus likes to play this game. God likes to play this game because he wants to know, he wants you to know that if you trust him and lean into him, he'll catch you. And he also wants you to know that the stuff that sometimes we lean into is not trustworthy. So he shakes. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So he shakes stuff. And in the shaking, sometimes we're leaning on stuff and it's not trustworthy. And so he shakes stuff, and all of a sudden it crumbles under us, and we're going, God, why did you do that? And he's going, because I want you leaning over here on me. You've been leaning on this, and this won't hold up. So there's a shaking. Everybody do this. There's a shaking. And in the trusting, there's a learning. There's a learning. You, 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 tr you trust fall. You, lean, you fall back into that friend, and you go, okay, I trust. They did, they did it. Or you go, never again. <laughs> <laughs> we learn though don't we so sometimes there's a shaking and we fall and we stumble but we get back up 
And we learn what to really lean into. We learn what to really lean on. God wants you leaning on Him because He won't fall. He'll hold you up. There's a shaking coming that will determine where you're trusting. You can count on it. So here's, here's the good news. Just lean into the right thing. You'll be fine. Doesn't matter what happens in 2024. If you're leaning on, on, on a trustworthy, something trustworthy, which is Jesus Christ, you'll be fine. You'll be good. Who's going to win the next election? You know who is? Jesus. You know who the, the elect is? We are. We're the elect. You're God's elect. And so keep your eyes on Him, not on the general election. Somebody say, Occupy. <laughs> All right, I'm going to invite the band to come up at this point. Talk about politics. Let's get the band up here. Let's change this. God is looking for people who will rise up and occupy, who will stand. Ephesians 6, 14, after you've done everything to stand, stand. After you've done everything to stand, stand. Exodus 14, Moses says, stand firm and see the salvation of God. Listen, church, this world, this generation, where you work, your family, your home, your school, they need an occupying army. They need someone to go in there and stand and say, there's a new regime in town. So how do we stand? How do we stand? Well, here's something interesting. If you really start to look at this kingdom that Jesus lays out, you're going to discover something interesting about it. It is very upside down. It's very upside down. The way he created it and, and the way he speaks to it. It's why Jesus uses so many of the parables that he uses because he, he was trying to get people's mind wrapped around what he was really doing. But his, his kingdom, some of the kingdom principles Jesus lays out, you think about them, you look at them, it's like, this is opposite. It's like opposite day all the time in the kingdom. It's wild. To become a leader, got to be a servant. It's upside down. A little different than what we might think. A little different than what the world would say. To truly live, you got to die. <laughs> it's a little different than what the world would say, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it, church? Nod your head if you're yeah. with me. To get back at your enemy, forgive them, love them, pray for them. Come on, Lord. That's definitely backwards. Bless them. Oh, to become rich, give. It's opposite day in the kingdom. All right, so the kingdom is upside down. Okay, so that with that in mind, how do we stand? We get low. We get low. And it's in getting low that we elevate God. You know, most of the stuff that keeps us unoccupied has to do with us elevating us. Most of the stuff that keeps us from really leaning into being the occupying army God's called us to be is that we are just rooted in this idea that we really like us some us and we want to do stuff our way. I think the biggest factor that keeps us from participating in kingdom business is our own business. We like what we like. We like we like us. We want to do stuff our way. We want to be our own boss. We want to be our own God. And so Jesus comes along and he comes and he dies on the cross and, and he says this, I want you to be a part of my business. And here's my business. I want to put myself into people. 
I love them. I died for them. And I want you to help me get my business all up in their business. The business of the kingdom in their hearts. Help me put Eden in them. I need you to help me with this. In Luke 19, before Jesus goes into this parable of the minas, he talks about what kingdom business looks like. He says in verse 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's kingdom business. Occupy till I came, till I come. Occupy how? I need you to be about this business. How do you be about that business? You get low. You get low. Remember John the Baptist? Do you, do you anybody? <laughs> he was here last night speaking at New Song. John the Baptist, what was he? He was the forerunner of Jesus. He came to elevate Jesus. And what does he say? He says, I must decrease so he can increase. John Ortberg says this, the Christian life is a constant invitation to let Christ occupy more and more of our hearts. John 3.30 challenges us to willingly decrease in self-occupation making room for divine occupation in our lives. There's a divine occupation where God comes to rest on your heart, rest on your life. And now through your life, he begins to start touching people. They start having encounters with God through you. They don't even know what's happening, but it's just the love of God on display in a life. Watchman Nee says this, great name. I mean, we need a cat named Watchman Nee. Our girls have been talking about getting a cat lady lately. It's freaking us out. They come to me and they're like, dad, we want a cat. And I'm just like, you look like my wife and you're little and you can have a cat. And then Sarah's like, no, we're not getting a cat. So I don't know what's happening. But if we get a cat, watch my knee. I don't know. I want to give it, I want to give it a different last name. Kind of gives it a story, you know? Knee. Anyway, he says this. <laughs> John 3.30. He says, John 3.30 reveals the divine principle of humility, choosing the lowly position. Somebody say low. Decreasing in self so that God can occupy the highest places in our heart. It's in this lowly that his glory is magnified. Occupy. Our city needs us to occupy. Our schools need us to occupy. Our homes need us to occupy. Our, our jobs, our work environments need us to occupy. Your kids need you to occupy. Our communities need us to occupy. There's an enemy and he's seeking who he can devour. And he's squatting. And he needs to be dethroned because he's already, the victory's already ours. We already won. It's already been won through Jesus Christ, but we've got to step in. This is this story, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place this before you, and I, I want you to pray about this. This is something, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. In this story, it talks about 10 minas. And it's, these, it's like these, these gifts, 10 gifts that he gives to these guys. And as I was thinking about that today, I, I believe this. I believe the Holy Spirit was kind of saying, I think every person in here, there's 10 areas in our life through which God wants to occupy through us. And my encouragement to you, I'm not gonna tell you what those are because I don't know what those are for you. I think they're gonna be different for every person. They're gonna be people, 
I think there's some that we have in common. There's our, there's, you know, our, our finances that can be used to occupy, to build the kingdom. There's our talents, obviously that like the time, talents, treasure. I think there's those three basic ones. There's our, our platforms of influence that we have. What, where do you have influence? Uh, stuff like social media, you have a, a voice through social media. How are you using that to occupy? Are you using that? Is that just, is that just, you know, God, that's off limits to you or is that, like I pray, pray through that. And maybe I think God's going to highlight faces for you. I think he's going to highlight spaces for you to where you begin to start being an intercessor in these spaces, to fill these spaces, to occupy these spaces with his presence. And, and here's my question with those spaces. How do you get low? How do you get low? How do you lower yourself, decrease yourself? How do you serve that person? How do you serve that environment? How do you serve Jesus? Isn't he worth serving? Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy of our life? Isn't he worthy of everything? Like, yes, he is. Yes, he is. But we get low. So I believe as I was praying over this today, I just believe that God invited, spoke to me and said, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to start before we get into some of what we're going to do with altar ministry. We're going to start with a corporate bow corporate bow of just saying, Lord, we're getting low. We want to be used by you. There are spaces and there are places in our world that are occupied by the enemy and we are dethroning the enemy and we are choosing to get low, to get low. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing that, that idea of like the, the night and he's getting low and he's being like that thing. I don't know what this is called, but this thing here where they're like night and nighting him, I guess. Right. Like, like there's like an authority there, a power there. Like get low. Let's get low. Get low. Get, would you stand up? And if you want to bow, you can. But we're, gonna, we're actually going to go into a, a moment of worship here. And in this song, we're going we're gonna to magnify the Lord. And we're going to get, we're gonna, you're going to be invited to low. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for what you have ahead for our church this year, for what you have ahead for this house this year, for what you have ahead for each individual in this room. Lord, I believe this is a mandate for our church, and I believe that there is more lives to be reached, more hearts to be won, more victories to be brought home. Lord, there are spaces and places that the enemy has is squatting in. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to speak to hearts right now. Just ask the Holy Spirit right there. Just, Holy Spirit, what, what's, what's, what's unoccupied? What's occupied with empty? What's occupied with off? Where, where Lord, am I, am I missing it here? You gave us a mandate, do business, do business. We wanna be about your kingdom business. We wanna be about your kingdom call. We wanna occupy till you come. We know you're coming again. We worship you, Lord. We bow down. We choose to bow down. We choose, Lord, to bow down. We bow down our hearts. We bow down our lives. We choose to do this and say, we get low so that you can be lifted high. You're the only one that's worthy. We get low. We get low. Make us like John the Baptist. We must increase or we must decrease so that you can increase. 
We want you to increase, Lord. We want to see you increase in our city. We want to see your power increase in our city. We want to see healing increase in our city. We get low. Lord, show us where we can get low. Thank you, Lord. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.